Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Seen on every news station every, near you. Yeah, yeah, never mind the state of the world. Let's talk about this trial, right? It's in Britain or is it in the US right now? Because I thought it was both. It started in Britain a couple years ago, so... Years? Years. Yeah, this has been going on since 2018. I, I see the look on your face. We'll, we'll, no, we'll briefly go 2018? over 2018? Holy crap. This is going to be the Cliff Notes Wikipedia version, but essentially what happened was... In 2018, Amber Heard wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post, I believe, where she talks about being a survivor of domestic abuse, with the heavy implication being everything she's saying is about Johnny Depp. So she didn't name names, but the implication I don't was- know, but everybody knew it was about him, whether she stated it or not, but it was about her marriage to him. That's where it starts, but then I believe it was just the next year in 2019 where a British tabloid had a headline saying that Johnny Depp was a wife beater. So he sued them in British courts. Okay. He lost that case. Then, go forward another year, 2020, in the United States, Johnny Depp sues Amber Heard for defamation. So this trial that we've been seeing all these clips of, <laughs> some very hilarious clips on TikTok. Welcome to 2022, where we get yeah, all of our exactly. legal news from TikTok. I'm down for this. This case that's been all over the news started as Johnny Depp suing Amber Heard for defamation for $50 million because he says that that article that she wrote has affected his career. He has to step away from franchises. He had to quit Fantastic Beasts. He has to lose roles. People see him in a certain way. It's affecting his income. Amber Heard then countersued him for $100 million. Oh, God. Amber Heard then countersued him for $100 million, claiming that what he is saying about her, because he is saying that she is a spouse beater as well, and also pooping in his bed and other horrible, weird things. But she is saying that, sh- that she lost roles as well, and... It harmed her contract with L'Oreal because she was one of those, you know, L'Oreal because you're worth it, like beautiful faces oh, that you gotcha, see. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. This trial is essentially trying to see who was the worst and who owes <laughs> who what. It seems like a lot of social media is on Johnny Depp's side. I see so much hatred for Amber Heard. He is a bigger star. And so maybe people are supporting the star. I don't know. It sounds to me, this is me being an armchair juror. I don't know that one is any more or less guilty than the other. They both seem like they did some pretty wrong things. I feel like they just need to be told to go away from each other. I'm going to say I actually haven't followed the trial at all. I want to see the made-for-TV movie about the trial. I would watch that movie, though, if they made a a movie of the trial. That'd be interesting. As it stands now, it's ongoing. It's still going on right now. And not going to lie, we're taking advantage. Why not? Sue me. (laughs) No, please don't sue us. I don't have any No, 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 please don't sue me. I have nothing. We're recording in in a living room. (laughs) It's a studio. You keep telling me this is a studio. This is a studio. This is a professional studio. Next to a couch. That, that sounded even worse. That sounded worse. Never mind. <laughs> For the list today, I have selected 10 films, 80% of which are Johnny Depp. There are a few reasons why. One being, of course, that Johnny Depp is 25-ish years older than Amber Heard, so he's had a much longer career. And two, as far as Amber Heard's filmography, she hasn't really done too many movies. She hasn't really done a whole lot and even fewer where she was the lead. Since we've talked about Aquaman before, I've taken that one off. Her other more popular movies are ones where she has one or two scenes as the hot girl, like Zombieland or Pineapple Express. So there's no reason to talk about those because she is borderline irrelevant to them. So with what's left, I chose movies where she is on the poster, where she is a prominent lead in the film. And other than John Carpenter's The Ward, which isn't very good, and we'll talk about that on the Carpenter episode eventually, that really only leaves two. For Depp's list, though, He has done a whole bunch of little movies because he was never really a big star until Pirates. He was a teen heartthrob because of 21 Jump Street. 
He was always there. He was always famous. He was always known, but he wasn't big, which leaves him with a lot of movies that very few people remember today. On this list, we don't have Dead Man, Nick of Time, Rum Diary, The Ninth Gate. These are movies that we don't really need to talk about. And then also, too, most of his really big, popular, famous films are Tim Burton movies, and we are probably, not even probably, we are going to eventually have a Tim Burton episode, and I don't want to eliminate a whole bunch of Tim Burton movies right now in the Johnny Depp episode. (laughs) There are only two Tim Burton movies on here, which doesn't leave that many other known or popular Johnny Depp films, and so I tried to pick ones that had unique performances from him. That works. That's fair. The films we're discussing today are... Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, The Lone Ranger, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Donnie Brasco, Ed Wood, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and Drive Angry. What probably stands out the most is those last two, because people are probably shrugging their shoulders or scratching their heads wondering what All the Boys Love Mandy Lane and or Drive Angry are. Those are the Amber Heard movies, okay? That's why you've never heard of them. Drive Angry is more of a Nicolas Cage movie, but but she is on the poster and she's there the whole time. It does sound like a Nick Cage movie just from the name and the poster and she's there. She is secondary, but but her role is basically pointless. Like they really just needed an attractive attractive female to sit next to Nicolas Cage while he drives (laughs) angry. I love Drive Angry. It's dumb. It's stupid. It's It's big. It's nonsense. Think of all the weird Nicolas Cage stuff that you imagine. That's that movie. It's all in Drive Angry. He reportedly chose that film because he read in the script that he gets to drink out of a skull in it. And he thought that was cool. That is cool, though. I mean, be a dude that escapes from hell on a revenge mission with a hot girl, and I get a drink out of a skull. And it's kind of clever, too, because in the movie, there's a part where... He threatens the bad guy saying that I'm going to drink out of your skull. And it sounds like just a cool line. And at the end, after the bad guy explodes in a very comical fashion, <laughs> Nicolas Cage walks back just casually drinking out of <laughs> out of a skull. And they don't really <laughs> emphasize it. They don't make a joke about it. <laughs> Drive Angry was shot in 3D. It came out at the start of the big 3D boom. Oh. Don't, uh, well. Well, I'm just saying that 3D, we all expected 3D, I think, to be like this massive new wave. Like, all the movies are going to be in 3D. It's going to be great. They thought it would be the new norm. I used to joke that I wanted to see Precious in 3D. Oh, God. (laughs) But here's the thing. As funny as it is, I mean it, though. If you go to a movie theater, why can't every movie just be available in one format or the other? But it just went nowhere. Some movies would have it, and you would kind of make fun. Oh, I could see that part there. They would have made that 3D, like, the guy reaching for something. He's actually reaching for your face. That's the problem, though, is that you're describing, uh, I think it's stereoscopic. I forget the term, Maybe? but the old red and blue 3D glasses make things pop. They, they make it seem yes. like things are coming towards you. Yeah. It, it creates an illusion of 3D depth. Polarized 3D, which is what we've had ever since Avatar, oh, is more gotcha. like a window. Like the movie screen is a window and the 3D is a depth. Like you're looking out a window into a three-dimensional reality. As neat as that can be, it doesn't make things actually pop at you. There's not a lot of actual, it's coming at you in polarized 3D. It's just not how that 3D works. It's more like just looking down a long hallway. Because of that, I think modern 3D wasn't as cool. It had a big boom for like two years and then pretty much just petered off continuously after that. But either way, Drive Angry was shot in 3D. It's dumb. It's big. It's loud. It's stupid. There's a whole bunch of nudity, a whole bunch of gore. It's not high art at all. It's trash. But it's not trying to be high art. It's, yeah. it's a Nick Cage movie where he's playing Nick Cage from hell. 
I think one of the other quotes on a, on a red carpet interview, somebody asked him why he did the movie and he said, they told me I could get shot in the eye. Like, <laughs> okay. A lot of his movies are not high art, but you can still watch them and enjoy them. But this is a Nick Cage movie. It's pure Nick Cage. Amber Heard, I see her Oh, yeah, I forget. In there. I forgot about Amber Heard. Yeah, this Heard. is actually Amber Heard we're discussing. <laughs> this is the Amber Heard episode. But this is a Nick Cage movie, so she's in there. She's more than just the eye candy because she actually does some to move I mean, the plot I mean, kind along. of, not really. She, it could have been anyone in the role. It could have been nobody in the role. Not going to keep it, though, because it's more of a Nick Cage movie to me than an Amber Heard movie. She's on the poster, so I say that's close enough. Uh, she's actually on the poster more than Nicolas Cage is. She's in front of him. But like you said, she's got to be. We need the hot girl to get right, people Right, right. They want to sell tickets. It's fine. I'm actually hanging on to it for now. I'm not saying it's a good, bad movie or so bad it's good because they made exactly what they intended on making. Like they made a trashter piece. <laughs> I like that word. Trashter piece is good. Like, it's a garbage flick in the perfect great way. Like if you want to watch an action movie where you're just smiling and rocking along and <laughs> laughing at it, like, oh man, this is so dumb. This is great. Like that kind of mentality. If you can dig that sort of thing, Drive Angry is pretty awesome actually. I just don't see it as an Amber Heard movie. So well, I'm going yeah. to tentatively hold it for now, but I mean, yeah. we only have two of her, so two movies yeah. of hers. Even though I am hanging on to it, I can only imagine that in what world would it be right for me to cross off Gilbert Grape, but keep Drive Angry, you know? In a world where you want to laugh and be amused and not feel horribly depressed. Right. That's true. That is true, actually. And What's Eating Gilbert Grape has come under a little scrutiny lately because of the way the world has changed, but with Leonardo DiCaprio playing a special needs kid. This whole, was his first role, wasn't it? No, it was no? his first big role. He got an Oscar nomination from it, but he was in Critters 3. And I know, again, the whole issue of actors act, what's appropriate. And this was 1993, I believe, when Gilbert Grape came out. Things were different. But watching it now, I could see people being slightly uncomfortable. But he does such a good job. It's not like Sia's movie Music. Oh, God. Oh where God. it's this it so fantasy bad. version of autism. Or even like Rain Man, which is, to an extent, a little questionable there is a, a a hollywood sheen on the performance like in rain man like dustin hoffman is good in rain man but legitimacy there we go there, there there's a, there's a question of legitimacy of his portrayal of that type of autism but that sense to me has never come around for gilbert grape no one has ever attacked leo for his performance or, or his representation it's only that he did it i think it's also because his character in Gilbert Grape is not a fantasy version of someone who's... He can't has count cards. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> he can't count cards. He doesn't go into this wonderful magical world where everyone's super nice to him. His performance is great. It it feels real. It mm -hmm. feels lived in. It's a realistic but depressing movie at the, the same time. The movie's depressing. And it is so depressing. Yeah, and it just goes to show you how the world has changed because the movie got a lot of press because they cast a woman in it who was... Very heavy. Uh, it was such a big deal that she's in a movie, which, uh, you know, that perspective wouldn't really fly today. And we shouldn't ever amaze that somebody's in a movie. <laughs> it's not a happy movie. It's about the struggles of Johnny Depp's character, Gilbert, and him trying to deal with his mom, who's in her situation, and his special needs brother. And then he meets Juliet Lewis. The movie's not about him finding love, but there is love there. And it's just kind of, it's a happy sad. We've actually seen stuff like this in the past where someone dies in their house and they have to actually take the house apart mm -hmm. to get the body out. Or yeah, and people... he sets it on fire instead. And in my mind, that's actually pretty nice. That's a better way for her to 
be remembered and to go out as opposed to yeah i don't want to think about their lives after that though because the movie ends kind of sweetly though with gilbert sitting with his brother and just watching their house burn with their mom inside and then mom's body let's be mom's body yes yes yes. she's She's not alive and it's sort of peaceful it's melancholy you know melancholy is the word i would use to describe And the movie movie. ends and i don't want to think about and then what but (laughs) it's a sweet scene it's a very good movie and the performances are are stellar johnny depp I don't want to fault him for being quiet, but he is not the showy role in Gilbert. He couldn't be the showy role in Gilbert. That's not the person Gilbert yeah. Grape is. That's yeah, the whole the, point of the movie. He's the responsible adult in the film, or he's forced to be a responsible adult, because even Johnny Depp was still pretty young back then. So I'm not crossing off Gilbert Grape yet, because as I said, I'd feel really bad if I crossed that off, but kept driving angry. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to Gilbert Grape too. Product of its time, but a very good product. Let's go ahead and cross one obvious one off. And for me, it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's one of the two Tim Burton movies on here. I try not to include obvious cannon fodder on some of these lists, some movies that are completely horrible, so why talk about them? I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is horrible. Horrible. On its own, it's just complete trash. And not the good trash like Drive Angry. It's it's stinky trash. It's bad. It's awful. It's plastic. I just remember seeing the poster and Johnny Depp and going, okay... Yeah, that this was is very uncanny valley, super creepy. I don't like how anyone looks in this. Yeah, he was doing a sort of Michael Jackson impersonation, according to him. This was the start of hating him doing the painted white quirky characters because he did so many of them after this, didn't he? Was Charlie even the before. first one? Okay. No, even before because Edward Scissorhands, Dark Shadows, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, even Lone Ranger. But being a Johnny Depp episode, I will say that I do like that Johnny Depp is trying. I don't like the character, but he's doing a voice. He has the fake teeth. He is trying to play a character. The problem is, comparing at least to Willy Wonka, the original, you could see Gene Wilder being a person, weird or not, being capable of running a factory. In Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it makes no sense that Depp's Willy Wonka is even capable (laughs) of running a business. He has such childlike ignorance, which is on purpose, but it's to such a degree that it doesn't make sense that he is who he is in the film. I just thought it was really, really yeah. bad well, overall. Like, I mean, the we, characters make no sense. The new versions of them look horrible. Yeah, yeah let's break down what's bad. Uh, the songs are awful. I can barely tell what they're saying. The movie is just muddy looking. It looks gross. It is not visually pleasant. If I'm going into a fantasy candy factory world, maybe some brightness, maybe some fantasy that looks some primary happy, colors, something that looks interesting and cool and bright and shiny because we don't need it to be everything plastic, but you should be excited to go to this factory and see the inside. It should be visually pleasing and or interesting. And instead, it looks like they filmed it through a dirty screen door. It is <laughs> gross looking. I will say that I like all of the child actors in it. Another problem too, though, is, and Red Letter Media talked about this, I think, but the factory is supposed to be the fantasy world, right? It is. But it should be. everything before they go to the factory is also a fantasy world. Which the, defeats the purpose. Right. Charlie's house is all weirdly askew. Charlie's dad at the factory he works is is weirdly exaggerated. So when they go to the factory, there's no juxtaposition. It doesn't seem weird. It's just a continuation of the world they've already seen. In the original Willy Wonka, it's post-war Germany. Yeah, it's horrible. It's yeah. dirty and grimy. And like the only enjoyment you have out of life is eating a Willy Wonka chocolate bar. That's yeah. all you get. And I'm being literal. It was Germany. They filmed it in 19, yeah. <laughs> 1970s Germany. And then when they go to the factory, it's this unbelievable, unreal, surrealistic place. This is what a child would see going into the candy store. But 
times 10. And at least you could see the difference between the factory and the real world. Mm -hmm. In the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the factory is no different than everything else we've already seen, which kind of kind of takes away the specialness of it. If the real world, their version of the real world is already kind of like that. Other than the kids doing well enough. Well enough. Well enough. They're adequate. This movie's awful. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is awful. Over the top, weird, and plastic looking. Even if I try to look at Charlie by itself, there's just nothing to like. You're supposed to like Willy Wonka. He's supposed to be this figure that's kind of different, but still interesting and nice underneath. Depp's version of him is just very weird. He's an idiot man-child, and you it just doesn't not, work. You would not leave your children alone with him. Well, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> I'm crossing it. Yeah, I'm crossing it off for sure. Johnny Depp's role in A Nightmare on Elm Street is smaller. He's a supporting role. He's not the main character. The main character is, of course, Nancy. But it's on here because it was his first real movie. He is not necessarily good in it. You can tell he's a new actor, and that's fine. But it's on here because it's important to his filmography. And arguably, of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street is a classic. It's a classic of the horror genre. He gets sucked into his bed, and then it shoots a column of blood onto the ceiling. And isn't that later on when the cops are like carrying down these buckets of They're blood? They're carrying out and buckets. And you're like, okay, that's kind of out there, yeah. but... We will have a Freddy vs. Jason episode eventually to cover both of those franchises, but the first Nightmare is so good. But it's hard to explain to anyone who wasn't around back then how huge Freddy was. The idea of everything, every product you can think of. He had a, a rap song. He had <laughs> lunch boxes. He had two TV shows. I remember the t- I remember lunch boxes. I remember Halloween costumes. I remember a lot of pillows, probably stuffed pillows, animals. Pillows, stuffed animals, everything you can think of. He was merchandised to the nth degree. Freddy was so saturated and he became so popular that the movies kind of became about Freddy. But the first movie, he is barely in it and he's scary looking and he's cruel because he's he's a child murderer (laughs) he's a child murderer and freddy is bad through and through there's not a single spot in him that goes oh he was a child just like everyone else and just no kill him he was a bad person and he was killed badly and now he's getting his revenge on the children of elm street and it's a mean fun little movie the ending is weak weren't there two endings i thought there's the fake out ending so many horror movies have that ending where it's, oh, no, it, they didn't actually win, which is fine, whatever. But I mean... It was all a dream. Yeah, but the actual ending where she just home alones him, mm-hmm. and then by not being afraid in your dreams, he no longer has his like dream demon powers. And so she, Nancy, literally just turns around, and she says, I take your power, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And he turns into a bunch of blue light and screams and, and disappears. And that's it, that's the end. I'm going to keep it. I'm hanging on to it for now as well, but again... I mean, I had to drop it later, but it was such a big... It's hard to explain nowadays how big this was. There are other comparisons, especially in the world of horror, because you have movies, franchises like Saw and Paranormal Activity, where the first one was way bigger than expected, the second one explodes, and then they do sequels yearly. Yeah. Because from 1984 to 1991, they made six Freddy movies. They made six movies in seven years. But Freddy, as a character, there were no... Paranormal Activity lunchboxes. There were no plushes of Jigsaw. You know, <laughs> Freddy as a as an icon. That that's the word. Freddy yeah. as an icon was significant. Like yeah, he exploded. Like you wouldn't believe. There was Freddy, Jason, and Michael Myers. Leatherface. Mike Myers. Le- a little bit of Pinhead, not too much. Chucky was big. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you see some stuff with Jigsaw, but you're not going to see maybe a Halloween costume once in a while with Jigsaw, but Freddy is still out there. Freddy was kind of like Mr. T, you know, how Mr. Yeah, T Mr. exploded T in popularity. Everywhere. Or Pee Wee Herman, how Pee Wee Herman oh, exploded. Yeah. 
Freddie is was comparable and and arguably bigger than both of them. But the way that they had cereals and plushes and mm-hmm. toys, same <laughs> idea. I'm gonna hang on to Nightmare for now. That's fair. The next one I'm gonna cross off though is the Lone Ranger, which is a. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we already discussed so much of something like this with the last Airbender movie. Are you diving right into the race casting? Yes. Okay. Actors act. I've said that before. If Scarlett Johansson wants to play a Japanese robot, whatever, it's a robot. But actors act, and Johnny Depp plays Tonto in The Lone Ranger, who is a Native American character. But here's the thing. Johnny Depp has a Native American heritage. I think part of the issue, though, is that press materials should not have to say, oh, no, no, but it's okay that we cast him. Where do we draw the line where it's okay? You know, like, oh, you're not enough? Actually, I was reading on that, and whatever group he claimed to be a part of, said, you're actually not what you think you are in terms of our tribe. So now, of course, this is taken with a grain of salt because well, who no, knows? no one knows. Yeah. But the idea that actors act and they play a part, that is very true. You should be able but, to play, but I'm going to add the button. If you're casting Tonto, who is very specifically Native American, just cast a Native American actor. But what you've told me in the past, whenever I make mention of Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell... People aren't going to go see the Lone Ranger if we cast a no, right. no-name person. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to make a $200 million Lone Ranger movie if you don't have a famous person like Johnny Depp. I get that. Then who would be the famous Native American you would cast as Tonto? Well, that's a great statement about America. <laughs> okay, I get that. And maybe you need to just cast a more famous Lone Ranger. Or don't worry about famous people. Sell the concept and don't spend $200 million on a two-and-a-half-hour bloated movie. On its own, the Lone Ranger as a film, within it, there is a 90-minute movie that is absolutely incredible. Set pieces and landscapes and situations that are thrilling. But the problem is, it's not 90 minutes. It's two and a half hours. It is bloated. And the analogy I was trying to think of before we recorded was, imagine if you had the most amazing bowl of soup made by Wolfgang Puck or Gordon Ramsay. You know, you're sitting at the chef's table in the kitchen watching them make this beautiful $100 bowl of soup, okay? And then before somebody brings it to your table, somebody stirs in a scoop of Kraft mac and cheese, okay? (laughs) You're not getting that mac and cheese out of that soup. There's nothing you can do. And so with Lone Ranger, you have this two and a half hour bloat. It's not like you can just cut the opening and the ending because the movie is bookended by terrible old man Tonto, Tonto telling this terrible story. Even if you cut those, the whole movie is infused with Kraft mac and cheese, you know? Mm. And if they had just fine-tuned it and cut it down and kept, like, the train sequences, there are some really cool parts. There's some funny parts. Like, there's a part where there's a horse in a tree. It's funny. I'm fine with that. <laughs> it could have been great. It really could have if they just didn't hire Gore Verbinski because it was directed by the guy who did the Pirates movies. And those are, as we'll get to, incredibly bloated films. He did mm-hmm. the first three, at least. They did not need to be two and a half hours each either. Just make a concise film for crying out loud. Sometimes, as you said before, you just want a nice 90-minute or 60-minute block and call it good. Yeah, look at Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't like the Lord of the Rings, but those were three hours, and they were, well, the first two movies at least, were a great three <laughs> hours. It's like Ebert said, a good movie is never too long, and a bad movie is never too short. And so if it was a great two and a half hours, then sure, but it's not. The weird humor, not the horse in the tree stuff, but mm-hmm. other weird humor parts. Like there's a character where it's heavily implied that he's the bad guy because he had his private parts shot off. The bad guy is angry because he has no thingy stuff. stuff. He has no stuff, right? There's just so much mac and cheese in this that is ruining the soup. No, <laughs> I'm, run- not, I'm running with that analogy. Okay? It's not a... It's infused. It's, the one thing I will mention, as you say, actors act, actors play a role. 
And there is a line that you can and can't cross. It, I guess it varies per actor. It varies per audience member as to where that line is. But for me, casting a white dude as Tonto is just bad. If you need a name to get your movie made, <laughs> let's be fair, that's not this movie. I feel weird saying that he's not Native American enough. Johnny Depp, for all intents and purposes, is a white guy. And it's Tonto. He's playing Tonto for crying out loud. He's playing Tonto. There is a line that you as the actor have to think about and go, is this going to be good for me to do or do I just not care and just go for it? It's it's a tough question sometimes. I don't know. But as it stands for this movie, they should have just picked someone else. That's it. And then cut out all but 90 minutes Have Johnny Depp play the bad guy in it. So just to play devil's advocate, though, what if we're wrong? Again, I don't know how native he is or isn't, but even if, say, one of his parents is, or one of his grandparents, say he's a a quarter or whatever, are we going to say that he doesn't look it enough? Like, that feels really weird, right? I I, I I agree that it's definitely kind of weird. It's kind of like, if we're wrong, we're we're wrong. wrong. I will admit it. Even if we did not have the race issue of Johnny Depp playing Tonto, the movie itself is not good. It's got, like you said, about... 80 to 90 minutes of good movie inside a two and a half hour garbage fest. So for those two big reasons, I'm going to cross it. Johnny Depp sucks in it. Like I'm tired of the shtick, (laughs) but I'm crossing off because it's infused with bloat. Why did it have to be so long? (laughs) Why did it have to be so bad? And also too, we just spent like three hours talking about Lone Ranger and we didn't even mention the actor playing Lone Ranger or the character of the Lone Ranger. That just goes to show you how askew the whole movie was, focusing on Tonto and putting Johnny Depp over the title. It's called the Lone Ranger and we just complained about it without even mentioning the character of Lone Ranger. (laughs) Uh, Wasn't the guy who played the Lone Ranger, isn't he in like some trouble now for... Because apparently he has like a cannibal fetish. I'm just curious. (laughs) No, no, I I will look into it. The next one I want to talk about then is Ed Wood, which, spoilers, is one of my three. It is endlessly quotable, a lovely, nice, joyous, perfect film. I love Ed Wood so much. When I think of Ed Wood, the first thing I think of is this is the most straightforward American name outside of like Bob Smith or something like that. Ed Wood is credited or said to be the worst director who ever lived, which is a little unfair. He earned that label in some book that was published and then it just sort of stuck. He made Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is not the worst movie ever made. It is bad. It is laughably bad, but by no means the worst movie ever made. It's just a junky 50s movie, whatever. It's bad. I mean, it's enjoyable. You can laugh at it. It's not a good film, but it's not the worst movie ever made. I've seen a movie about spiders on a submarine where the submarine had kitchen cabinets, okay? In, like, the control room. It's worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space. Ed Wood is about the director trying to make uh, a couple of his movies, including Plan 9 from Outer Space, and Johnny Depp just plays... The happiest, most charming, most dedicated director. He is oblivious to his skills as a director. And the movie is kind of mostly a comedy. It's just about the joy of independent filmmaking and... How bad he is at his job, though. They mostly focus on his desperation to get things done. Like the way he has someone flail around in the water with a rubber octopus. And he's like, oh, you're doing great. Just keep doing that. And he puts on that like sort of old Hollywood sort of voice. Why he talks kind of like this. Ah, the worst movie you've ever seen? Well, the next one will be better. This is kind of like what he should have had for a persona for Willy Wonka. Yeah, maybe. You know, he should have been a lot more happy about it because that's what Ed Wood is. He's a dude who has his dream that he has to work for, but just because he gets his dream to make movies doesn't mean he's any good at it. So it's kind right. of the antithesis to like every underdog story you've ever read or watched. Yeah, he keeps chasing his dream and failing for decades. Ed Wood is in black and white, which I feel loses some people, which is kind of unfair. But, you know, modern age. Yeah. yeah. But there's something joyous about it because 
even when, like, for example, he becomes friends with Bella Lugosi, the actor who played Dracula, and he was a heroin addict later in life. The end of his career, the last, the end of his life, the last few movies he made were all Ed Wood movies. Ed Wood was the one who tried to keep him employed because he idolized the guy who played Dracula. Mm -hmm. And so even though there's this legacy actor who has a heroin addiction, that sounds like drama that you would see in like these biopics. Yeah. But it's, it is treated somewhat seriously, but the movie never makes you feel bad, if it's that makes sense. very happy-go-lucky for Edward. He does have his moments of quiet desperation, but he's not actually broken down by it. Like he's... It's always what's next. It's like, this didn't work. Let's try the next thing. And he did that for decades. He never really succeeded, but he never stopped trying. And I How think that's you... what I kind of like about it. How can you keep going at that point, though? Because you think after like your first five or six horrible bombs, you'd at least have some introspection of, man, I was horrible. Or first 30 bombs. I do like the idea that you keep trying. A, a term I would apply is scrambling optimism. Because That's people, a good word. I yeah, like that. Like in the movie Edward, they show him building his sets or people building his sets. And these sets are clearly trashy. Like mm -hmm. these are not good sets. The gravestones are made of cardboard. And every time someone shows Edward something, he, he just goes, oh, that's great. You know, He's, he just doesn't, doesn't criticize. Care. He's just so happy to be doing what he's doing. Yeah. The flying saucer is literally a spray painted hubcap on a, on a fishing wire. Oh, that's great. Optimism, I think, feels good sometimes. It is a very optimistic movie, and he never lets anything really drag him down for, like, long. They show his face sink sometimes, and then it's almost immediately, okay, now what? I'm surprised that Ed Wood never comes up in conversation as far as representation, because it is one of the most positive, perfect world versions of what we could be as a people when it comes to LGBTQ stuff, because Ed Wood himself, in real life, and they show in the movie, was a cross-dresser. And I feel a little weird saying that term. I don't know if that term is okay, but but that's what he said. That's how he described it. And so he was ostensibly a straight man who liked women's clothing. And when he directed his movies, he would direct them in big sweaters and high heels and a wig because he liked it. The movie treats it with such normalcy. And even saying normal is a loaded word. But what I mean is it's never a joke. No one ever has a moment where they yell at him about it. He just says very plainly, and I like to wear women's clothing. He tells his girlfriend that. And even when she has her freak out later in the film calling them all freaks, it's because of the trashy, stupid movie that they're making, yeah. that they're celebrating this garbage that they just made. And, he, and Edward has his like, dentures pulled out, so you just see his gums. And she's yelling at them that they're freaks. It has nothing to do with him wearing women's clothing. It's treated with such... It's a non-issue. And Bill Murray's character in it, he wants to have a sex change. Mm -hmm. And he talks about it in such a simple, straightforward way. It's like he's ordering nachos. No one tells him he's brave. No one hugs him. There's no crying moments. No one has any judgment because there's no scale or reason to judge. Mm -hmm. It just is. It's know? a, it's a non-issue. It's yeah. just something that, like you said, I'm going to go get nachos. I'm going to go do that. Okay. It's, to me, where we should hopefully be as a society where we don't need these great arguments about representation because hopefully everything just is normal. Normal is, again, <laughs> a, a weirdly loaded word, but I mean... We shouldn't need to argue or celebrate people just being who they are, right? It should just be. If he, if he walked out wearing a suit, it's not a conversation. It's that level of normalcy, you know? There is inherent humor in it. Just seeing Johnny Depp doing that voice, the old Hollywood voice, and directing a, a trashy $10,000 movie, <laughs> there is inherent humor in that, but you're not laughing at him being in drag. But the movie's great. It's pretty forgotten, though, isn't it, overall? Um, yeah, it doesn't really come up very often, but the humor and the positivity is so strong in it. It's a funny movie. It's a very funny movie. I'm going to hold on to it for now. I don't have your level of love for it, but I do like the character of Edward just because he is so freaking happy, and nothing really 
gets him down for long. Yeah. Like he just bounces right back up. And I wish I could have that kind of mentality. Imagine someone saying, go get him, Tiger. And they mean made a, it. And they made a movie of that. Of that <laughs> of, of that enthusiasm of go get him. He'd be a good life coach. Yeah. I mean, in a horrible yeah. way, but he'd be funny as a life coach. Yeah, because I don't know about necessarily real life, but in the film, he's not making bad movies on purpose. To him, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see that he's making trash. He sees that he's making a film. I'm making a film. Okay, it was the worst movie ever. Well, great. Our next one comes out next week. Yeah. That's it? Okay. Yeah, somebody tells you that it's the worst movie they've ever seen, and your response is, well, the next one will be better. Okay. Like, that's... <laughs> like, dude, that... <laughs> up and <he's>, at him. <laughs> he's just so enthusiastic about what he does. So you're definitely keeping Edward. That yes. is one of your three, like, there's... 100%. Okay, well, then I'm going to start with one of mine that, as soon as I saw this list, I was like, this is almost not fair to have on here, because it's almost a gimme. Let's be fair here. Up until this movie came out, we knew him, as you said, as this kind of quiet, you know, Johnny Depp, introspective. Mm-hmm. And then along comes Jack Sparrow. And that is what yes. that is what you see in your mind, for the most part, when you think, at least for me, when you think of Johnny Depp. I think of him in the Jack Sparrow gear, not as Johnny right. Depp. He is the embodiment. It's going to be on his tombstone. Yeah, he is Jack Sparrow forever. And I say this as I look at a Pirates of the Caribbean poster over here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To be clear, okay. I have a framed poster of the Disneyland attraction ride. So it's the poster that they use to advertise the ride. It's not a poster of the movie. People who don't even like Pirates of the Caribbean know Jack Sparrow. He mm-hmm. is almost like the Freddy Krueger when it comes to merchandising. He's on everything. He's been on everything. There's tons of parodies of him. And I know that Johnny Depp himself would go around to like children's hospitals mm-hmm. and stuff dressed up as Jack Sparrow. Yeah, that character is amazing. Arguably more famous than the movies. And honestly, I could tell you who the other characters are in the Pirates movies, but I just don't care. I don't care Will, about hardly any of them. Will, Will Turner. Elizabeth? Elizabeth Swan? Elizabeth? Probably. And then there's Norris something well, or other. And well, Barbosa, of course. Barbosa, and Jeffrey yeah. Rush is great. I love Jeffrey Rush. But it is a Jack Sparrow movie. Yeah. I don't know that you've said the title in that entire rant, but to be clear, we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. The Black Pearl. The first yes. movie, which I thought was a weirdly long title when they announced it, because you don't usually see a subtitle on part ones. Yeah, that was definitely a, wow, this is a That's That's a that's lot a of mouthful. text. But the first Pirates movie, it's kind of like Jaws, kind of like Scream, where mm-hmm. you have to put the sequels out of your mind when talking about it. The first Pirates movie is pretty great. And I think it's pretty great because Johnny Depp's version of that character, or his portrayal of Jack Sparrow, is so good. It's a hypnotic performance. Mm-hmm. It is super tainted by the sequels. It's really hard to not hate him because of the sequels. If you can watch part one in a bubble, he is great. He's not even really the main character. They use him appropriately. And Jack Sparrow in the first one versus the later movies kind of remind me of Ash from the Evil Dead series, where I love the first three Evil Dead movies. By Army of Darkness, Mm -hmm. Ash has become kind of a blowhard, like a pushy, egotistical, give me some sugar baby, whatever. But, But the thing is, he knows when he's being a blowhard. He knows when he's being an idiot. He has an awareness. But then by the Ash versus the Evil Dead TV show... He's just an idiot making stupid mistakes that other Ash would not have done. By the TV show, he has no awareness of him being a buffoon. In the first Pirates movie, Jack Sparrow is smart. He doesn't care. He's very easygoing. Mm -hmm. And he's very lucky. And like when he's fighting Will Turner, when they're fighting in that uh, blacksmith shop or whatever, Mm -hmm. he uses his smarts. He comes off to other people as an idiot because he just doesn't care. But he's not dumb. 
He's but, extremely smart. But by the sequels, mm. even the, just the second one, I think, was when he has like uh, Davy Jones's heart in a jar. And he's like, oh, look, I have it. And he trips and he falls and, and it shatters. You yeah. Know? They play up the buffoonery so much. Yeah. The sequels, we're not looking at the sequels. We're just looking at the yeah. first one. Jack Sparrow is just one of those characters that almost everybody likes. Even if you don't like Johnny Depp, you like his portrayal as Jack Sparrow because the dude is not quite Ed Wood. He's not like super happy, but he definitely has the luck and the charisma of it. That's yeah. the word, charisma. You want to see more of him. He is used perfectly. But you don't want to see him like do the entire movie. The first movie is, I don't want to say an ensemble because it's a relatively small cast, but each of the leads are the main characters. Will mm-hmm. Turner and Elizabeth... Uh, I'll just say Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. Yeah, I know <laughs> whatever. Those, yeah. yeah. Their roles are as important as his. They're three leads. Looking at it, you know, in a bubble. The first film is too long, but he is magnetic. Jeffrey Rush is awesome in it. I love him as the villain. Mm-hmm. The special effects are really creative. The pirates walking into the moonlight and turning into the skeletons, the, the skeletons yes. is really cool looking. And it catches you off guard that yeah. first time you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what am I seeing? I love Jack Sparrow's obsession with getting his boat back. Mm-hmm. When characters have a clear motivation, that's always super helpful in movies. Like when you know exactly what it is thereafter, as much as it's tunnel vision for him, he just wants his boat back. He doesn't care about these people. And that's what's yep. really kind of amusing about him is that, that Jack Sparrow doesn't care. He just has his goal. It's a great character. And it kind of brought Johnny Depp out of that kind of, you know, very stoic and quiet. Mature. Mature, yes. <laughs> He yeah. was a very quiet mature. All of a sudden, he's Jack Sparrow, and you're like, oh my God, this is this is kind of enjoyable. He rejected fame a little bit at first. He never wanted to be a big Hollywood actor, not like that. Mm-hmm. And when he exploded, he got a Best Actor Oscar nomination for the first movie. Hmm. And arguably, maybe he deserved to win, in my opinion, but he didn't. Yeah. He rolled with it, though, obviously. He made like $50 million off of each of the sequels. He got to play the role he wanted to play, mm-hmm. and it's it's great. I am... Almost certainly keeping the first Pirates. I hate to say that because that means I do have to cross off some of these other things. Well, there's not many left, though. We only yeah. have like three movies left. So I'm going to cross off without any hesitation, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Some might be angry with me about that because Fear and Loathing is one of those cult movies, kind of like Big Lebowski. There are great scenes, but as a movie as a whole, I have a real hard time watching it. And I like Terry Gilliam, the director, quite a lot. There are some very unique performances and visuals in that film. Very unique. The drug trip sequences are hilarious. Ah, as a film, eh, it's it, it just doesn't of, work. It's kind of like a mishmash of different things. And I can appreciate the whole drugs are very interesting and will show you interesting things. But for a movie about a drug trip, it's just not very good. Like you said, there's little parts like, oh, that was really cool. Oh, I remember this is bat country. We can't stop here. And Depp does the weird sort of mumblecore Hunter S. Thompson impersonation. And it works. His performance is very fun. And the camera will zoom in on his eyes in these sort of fishbowl lens mm-hmm. effects. And you hear his thoughts while he's, while he's having freakouts. Like there's one sequence when he's at a convention at Circus Circus. They don't call it that, but it's meant yeah. to be Circus Circus. He says it's the worst hotel on the strip. <laughs> and if you've ever gone to Circus Circus, especially as a child, that connected with me. I laughed very hard at that. <laughs> And people with dinosaur tails, there are cool parts. Those parts are hilarious. Like, I would watch a 20-minute supercut of the best parts of that movie. It just doesn't work for me as a two-hour film. Actually, all I can think about is Circus Circus now. And how when I was a kid, we went there for some karate convention. And there was a claw machine with those stuffed animals mm-hmm. in the foyer. And I put in a quarter to play. And most of the time, you get those and, like, the claw doesn't close all the way. But I guess the guy who had this machine, he was quitting or he was just like, you know, screw it. And so this claw would literally grip and almost tear the head off the stuffed animal. (laughs) Fear and Loathing is one of those movies where I wish I loved it the way people do. 
because I like parts, but yeah, no, I just, eh, yeah, just doesn't do it. doesn't save it. Donnie Brasco is one that would be hard for me to cut. Of all the movies on this list, as far as just a good movie, Donnie Brasco is the best made, best film on this list, other than, than Ed Wood, to me at least. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm keeping it because I don't completely love it. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's great. If you like undercover mob movies. Yeah, the mafia movies are always good. But yeah. this one is kind of different in that there's no glitz. There's nothing awesome looking about mm -hmm. this life. Everything is gritty. Well, you dark. see him lose his family because he's undercover for years. So Donnie yeah. Brasco is an agent who's undercover with, with the mob for a number of years to where it's questioned whether he is really becoming a the criminal. Mask. And you see him arguing with his with his wife about it and about how he's changing. It's not glamorous. But in so many of these movies where someone goes undercover, the, the drug lord's den is like awesome and opulent and everyone's having fun. People enjoy being bad. But in this one, the mob doesn't seem like they're really having super fun. They're doing it because it's a job. It seems like business. It seems normal. It's not glamorized. Like you said, that's a good word for it. It takes place in the 70s, so you have that 70s aesthetic. But... To me, at least, again, not being in that world, but mm -hmm. to me, the movie doesn't give it that sort of Hollywood sheen version yeah. of the criminal life. You just have like these strippers and these women walking in and out of your life and it's so cool. And meanwhile, here's this family guy who hasn't seen his wife and kids in so long. Imagine if Sopranos was a little more of a bummer and that's kind of Donnie Brasco, <laughs> you know? exactly it. And it's good though. It's really, really good. One other sort of similar movie is The Departed. But mm. The Departed does have a little more flash to it. Yeah. It has... Um, it's more, it looks kind of cool if you're one of the bad guys. Uh, cinematically, The Departed does have more flash to it. Mm -hmm. There's more shine to the, the camera work and the music. Uh, lots of Rolling Stones. But Donnie Brasco is a little more down to earth. Uh, between the two of them, I would pick The Departed. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but Donnie Brasco is great. I just don't love it. And that's where I'm hung up on. And I can't really say... I'm not complaining about it. So when I say I, I don't love it, I don't have a reason why. I can't say... You know, oh, this was bad or this was too long. It's not too long. It's appropriate. Al Pacino is yeah. always awesome. It's Al Pacino for crying out loud. And this, he's lefty, right? Uh, I don't remember the name, but he is. Lefty is his friend in the the mafia that I think at the very end of the movie, that's when he and Donnie Brasco are, are talking about stuff because the mob's getting a little concerned about him thinking maybe he's not on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. And so I think the last scene between the two of them, and they're friends by this point. They've been together for years. For years. Is that Lefty says, hey, look, I know you and you know me and. I don't believe the rumors because if I did believe the rumors and you were FBI or you were a cop, that makes you a rat, but that makes me the dumbest person right. here yeah, that's a good at moment. all. Johnny Depp's character, Brosco's like, yeah, man, I, I think you're smart. I don't think you're a dog. Yeah. You know, I don't think anything. I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but he does realize, I think at the very end that Donnie Brosco is Oh, just yeah. No, no. He knows. Uh, I wish I had... This is what makes movie. this is what makes an elimination style show like this difficult because I wish I had a reason to cross off Donnie Brasco and so maybe I won't maybe I'll hang on to it for the moment while we sort of wrap this last part up. I don't really want to watch it again and it's not because of again really any type of hatred or issues. You like other movies that are a little more important better. That's what I'm going with because Donnie Brasco's good. Johnny Depp is great in this movie but not everything can be Jack Sparrow, obviously. Not everything can be Gilbert Grape, but it's just kind of one of those movies that kind of... His Donnie Brasco performance is still that era of quiet, stoic depth. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of flash to it, no. which is fine. It fits the movie, but he is not lively. Mm -hmm. <laughs> His character in Donnie Brasco is closer to Gilbert Grape. You, you can't connect with every movie. And so even if a movie's good, that doesn't mean it's special to you. And so I have my childhood and a history with Freddy Krueger. And so I would rather go back to Nightmare on Elm Street. And I love trash movies, so I would rather go back to Drive Angry. Yeah. 
And that's not to say there's anything wrong with Donnie Brasco, but if you give me a list of five movies from this list, I would probably rather watch those five before I watch Donnie Brasco again. And it's just because it's good. It's really good. But it's kind of melancholy. And I don't need to go back. Schindler's List is great. It is great. But it is a hard movie to stop and sit I down would and rather, watch. I would rather watch Drive Angry. <laughs> well, I, mean, it, I would say it kind of depends on your mood set. If you are, you, know, you want something to entertain you and kind of uplift you, Ed Wood is good. Drive Angry is good. You want to turn your brain off a little bit and just kind of be yeah. in the moment. Well, you want to feel certain things, whether it's yes. emotions or connection. And I don't have an emotional or nostalgic connection to Donnie Brasco. So even though it's good in the scale of why I would watch certain things, I hate to say just a good movie isn't good enough because, again, on this list, am I going to pick something just because it's the better film mm-hmm. or do I have to weigh what it means to me and or what it might mean to other people? Because I don't know who's listening to this that cares about Donnie Brasco other than my brother. My brother loves that movie. I'm going to just add one little thing before I say I'm crossing it off. When I first thought about, you know, Donnie movies, my mind went to Donnie, Donnie Darko, Darko and I was like, he was in Don. Maybe he was in the rabbit suit. No, no, but Donnie. Okay, Brasco. That was the mafia. I do movie. love and, Donnie Darko. And maybe because we didn't one grow up in the seventies, and two, the mafia for us, at least as far as I know, has always been kind of a a New York thing, a Sopranos thing. Mm. It was never really that big for me. I'm gonna say no, only because I like the Sopranos. I like Carlito's Way a lot, also mm. with Al Pacino. I I like Carlito's Way probably more than I like Donnie Brasco. Uh, actually, I like The Departed. Donnie Brasco mm. is good, but. You have to be in the mindset of, I want to watch something that's kind of melancholy, gritty. This and is what I want right now kind yeah. of feeling. You yeah. have to be in that special mindset. Like, I want to look at sad pictures right now. Yeah. So I will put an asterisk next to Donnie Brasco for the moment. I'm not crossing it off just yet. And uh, we'll see where it ends up. The last one is a movie that chances are very few people have heard of and fewer have even seen called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. I heard about Mandy Lane for years and eventually... Uh, sought it out via import. I imported like a, a German Blu-ray of it or something like that. <laughs> Damn, that's how hard it is to find. It's not, yeah, it's not really available. I think you could probably pick it up now. If you go on like a Walmart website, you can probably get a DVD of it. In horror circles, movies will be talked about in advance of their release. Movies like Cherry Falls, you'll hear such good things from festivals or this or that. And then the movie basically never comes out. It happens. Mm. All the Boys Love Mandy Lane was one of those movies where I heard about it for years and eventually had to seek it out because it just never really came out in any reasonable fashion in the United States. In the movie, Amber Heard plays a high school student who blossoms over summer, and when she comes back, everyone is just fascinated with her, and she's sort of quiet. It's implied that she's quiet because somebody jumped off of a roof into a pool to impress her, but they hit uh, he hit his head on the deck and dies, and so he died because of her. And so in the film, she goes to a house party at this like farm. It's like a farm, I think. I'm not sure if it's exactly the beginning, but at the first party where the guy jumps off the roof Mm -hmm. and kills himself, she is friends with a dude who's kind of being bullied by other people. After the guy kills himself jumping off the roof, the bullied kid gets ostracized even further from everyone else. Mm -hmm. Jess gets pushed back. And so that's the kind of the hint that, oh, this guy maybe had something to do with it, but either way, he's just... Not there anymore, but it's because Mandy was nice to him. That's the only reason he was invited in the first place. Yeah, and she, well, I don't want to say she's a non-character. She's the MacGuffin. She's the plot motivator. She doesn't really talk much. She's just there to be attractive and quiet. Until and, like, the middle to the end. And, well, it's like the title says, all the boys love Mandy Lane. And the girl seems to as well. But they go to this party, only four or five other friends. And then there's also the guy who runs the the farm. And people start getting picked off one by one, slasher movie style. But the thing is, is that it's not like Scream. There is no flashiness to it. Here's a Marvel comparison. The way the Eternals looked, 
Oh, yeah. man. No, 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 no. Not the quality of the film. We'll, uh, we'll discuss that one day. Mm-hmm. Visually, well, the Eternals. visually, that's what I meant, because visually, it looks so... Pretty. It was a beautiful film. It's pretty, but kind of in a flat way. Anyway, it's a lot of landscape shots, a lot of dry fields. There's not a lot of those those avid fart sounds where it's like, brink, when like a cat jumps out yeah. of a cabinet, you know? It's very meditative. Lots of long shots of people looking at Mandy. And mm-hmm. it's all about mood. It's very foreboding. And it builds towards... It's a sense of doom coming, and then you actually see it explode, and you realize how it has been building towards that moment, and how that Mandy herself stops being just this object of people staring at her and wanting her, and actually becomes active in her own movie named about her. And I don't want to necessarily spoil it, because it's such an unknown movie. It's not like saying what happens at the end of Jurassic Park. Like You've had 30 years. I don't want to spoil the ending, because it's such an unknown film, but I just want to set the expectation that... Even though it is a slasher movie, it's very moody. Like you said, the sense of doom is perfect. It's just building towards what is going on, what is going to happen. So if you go into a slasher movie expecting things to happen, like every 10 minutes someone gets stabbed, Mm -hmm. oh no, ah, and then you expect a sequence at the end where the main girl is running through a house and bodies keep popping out of every door that she bumps into. (laughs) It's not that movie. It's really about the emotions and the obsession of teenage boys onto this teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of paralleling that obsession with murder. At the end of the movie, you're sitting there going, oh, okay. It's not very climactic. There's no long chase sequence ending with a climax and confrontation. It's very mellow. Actually, that's a great word. A mellow slasher film. Yeah. I love All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. I think it's really good. You just have to keep your expectations in check as far as a slasher (laughs) movie. It's very limited, it's very moody, and that probably means boring for a lot of people. And maybe that's why it never got a wide release. But Amber Heard, being Amber Heard, she's very pretty in it. She does the job well of playing an item of obsession. A lot of these movies, I'm wondering if it hasn't been kind of tainted by real life. I don't mean the trial of her with Johnny Depp, but how many things we've seen in reality with different kids Mm -hmm. opting for revenge kind of plots. Well, slasher films don't usually have bullets. Because it's a slasher film, not a, a shooty film. Yeah, <laughs> a shooty film. <laughs> a shooty film, yeah. Dude, we, we need to get that term going. We need to make that popular. Oh, it's a shooty film. It's like, a shooty have film. Have you seen that new John Wick movie? It's a great shooty film. Otherwise, it's just, you know, this this girl who's the object of everyone's obsession and desire. And oh my God, they're all getting picked off one by one. But we don't really know why. And then you find out why and you're like, okay, that's kind yeah. of interesting. But kind, kind of. of very, kind of reminds me of we need to talk about Kevin in a way. Tilda Swinton movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) The Flash, there we go. What makes it interesting or boring Mm -hmm. in Mandy Lane, though, is that they almost make it seem like, almost like they deserve it because of their obsession with her. Like, this is what you get. And And that's almost like punishment for hormones. Well, isn't that a lot of like horror movies in general? Like the first person to lose their virginity almost always dies. I mean, I would say that's a slightly different perspective. I mean, that is a still a form of, of punishment. Like, mm-hmm. you you drink, do drugs, have sex, you're going to die in a horror movie as punishment because you're impure. Yeah, that's the, the um, Pleasure Island Pinocchio style. Mandy Lane is simpler because it's more about just having those hormones and that desire. You're being punished for desire, not for action. That's you know? true. Which makes it, again, probably boring for some people because that means there's no sex scene. It's not sex equals death. It's lust equals death. I can see that. Would I keep it, though? No. I see what else is on here. I can't keep All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. If we're talking about just Amber Heard and her two movies. Well, there's only two uh, movies. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm saying like between the two, Drive Angry is more fun. Yeah, Drive Angry is a lot more fun, but I'm not going to keep All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. I don't love it that much. It's kind of a weird movie. I'm going to drop Drive Angry, though. As much as I like it, it's still in my mind more of a Nick Cage movie. 
great, fun, Nick Cage, perfect. But along those same lines, if we're doing the whole one-to-one comparison thing, Drive Angry is not really an Amber Heard movie. A Nightmare on Elm Street is not really a Johnny Depp movie either. No, but it has a lot more importance than Drive Angry does for Amber Heard in terms of importance, favorite, and you know overall well, first. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really launch her career, so I guess you could say that. What did launch her career? Being married to Johnny Depp? No, it was Zombieland. For those few minutes she was in it? Well, wow. when you play a hot girl in a movie, welcome to Hollywood. I still have four left. I'm going to put them in pairs to sort of compare them. So the two dramas are Donnie Brasco and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Between the two of those, I would cross off Gilbert. Really? Wow. Yeah. Leo is, as much as you may disagree with him playing that role, Leo is incredible in it. It's so much more of a downer when I would call Donnie Brasco interesting. Interesting is not a word I would apply to Gilbert Grape. It's just they don't have happy lives and it's, that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> it's kind of like we don't live exactly how Gilbert Grape does, but we probably know people who are in similar situations. So if I want to escape in a movie, I don't want to see, you know, people that I, I usually see on a day-to-day basis knowing that's might be what they're going home to. Yeah. I kind of have to agree with what you said, though, as far as the importance of the roles between Drive Angry and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Neither Johnny Depp or Amber Heard are really hugely important. But as far as the films being important to the actors, A Nightmare on Elm Street is way more important to Johnny Depp than Drive Angry was to Amber Heard. Although Drive Angry does have some really fun scenes with that accountant character. And yeah, I yeah. I'd actually, I wouldn't mind like a Drive Angry like series where just different people escape from hell to get revenge. That'd be great. Why not? As much as I love Drive Angry, like I said, Trashter Piece, which is a stupid word. But, I like it. It's, it's on par with shooty film. I like Trashter Piece. I like Trashter Piece. Drive Angry is by no means really a good movie, but it's so much fun. If you like stupid nonsense, it is fun. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a better film, a more important film. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go ahead and cross off Drive Angry, which is sad, but I am. Which leaves me with two films that I don't think anyone in the history of the world has ever compared. Donnie Brasco and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I don't think so, actually. <laughs> I was going to say something wow. smart with that, but it's yeah. going to be hard, dude. It's going to you know, be hard. Oh, yeah. You know, I just realized with crossing off all the boys and Drive Angry, that means Johnny Depp has won. <laughs> no matter where we well, end okay. up, Johnny Depp has well, won. I mean, to Couldn't. be fair, if we had the same amount of movies for both of them, it would be a little more fair. Yeah, well, but having... need, as much as I like Zombieland 1, she is not relevant to the film. Yeah, and know? otherwise, I mean, there was just Aquaman, which... And Pineapple Express and The Ward, like who cares? So, yeah. The jury of Aaron and Tara have sided with Johnny Depp, I I, guess. I didn't say that. I just Filmography. Filmographies, yes. I I told you, I have not followed the trial at all. She pooped in his bed. I don't know. I don't know. Never mind. Never mind. Anyway. I don't know anything about the trial, so... We sided with Johnny Depp's filmography. I'm down to my three. You're down to your three? All right. Um, I've been busy over here while you're debating about Donnie Brasco. Like I was talking about, Gilbert Grape was one of my four, but it's just kind of depressing. It was between Gilbert Grape and Ed Wood, honestly. Okay. So you crossed off Gilbert Grape because it's good, but you don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to watch that movie again okay. and again because I can see that stuff in real life. It is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. And Leo is amazing in mm-hmm. it. But Gilbert is just kind of sad to watch. It doesn't end on a hopeful note. Ed Wood, at least, is super hopeful. Gilbert Grape is seemingly pretty realistic. It and is. maybe we don't always need realism. Movies are escapism. And yeah, uh, Gilbert Grape is good, but uh, I don't need that reality sometimes. And it is hopeful in little bits and pieces, but you know it's not going to end super well. You know, we got so hung up on the iconography of Freddy Krueger that we didn't really even necessarily talk about the film <laughs> on its own. Uh, just, okay, very briefly, uh, okay. it's it's scary. It's the only real movie of the franchise that tried to be scary, to be honest. 
It was a movie my it's parents creative. did not let me watch, actually. Yeah. I had to watch it later. The makeup is awesome. Oh, you really? Well, uh, dude, you read Misery and you were in like fifth grade, okay? Yeah, I know, so I I don't, your, your kind of judgment is the, skewed on the this. The dream imagery is very haunting. How the parents are pretty much kind of standoffish, like they don't really believe, but part of them is also believing, oh, we actually did kill that guy, so it's entirely possible. Maybe something's going on, but almost like the, the parents and the entire town in the It movie is. Where the parents know things are going on, but they just kind of ignore it. Yeah. They don't want to think about it. The tongue coming out of the phone. Oh yes. My. Or the marshmallow stairs. The hand coming out of the bathtub. Oh, like between her legs. That oh, was really yeah. like, what the? Yeah. I can see why my parents didn't want me to watch this. I watched it later, so I would have never gone to bed. I wouldn't like, I'm not staying. I'm, yeah. No, he's not going to get me. He ain't going to yeah. get me. With the later films being as jokey as they are, that sort of diminishes the scares mm-hmm. of the first one. Like you go back now and you watch it. I have. 30 years of Freddy Krueger movies to sort of diminish or change how I see Freddy. But in that first film, it's so creative. You it know? is good. And it's in a way that a slasher movie really hadn't been before that. I mean, I think that pretty much swayed my decision. As much as I like Donnie Brasco, uh, I'm going to cross off Donnie Brasco. Yeah. I hate to do it. But that does leave me with my three as well. So Tara, what do you have? All right. So my three, I've got Ed Wood because, I mean, Ed Wood was just great. <laughs> and that, that optimism he's got, I need that in my life. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. And for only, I think, the second time in history, we actually match. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are A Nightmare on Elm Street, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and Ed Wood. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas or on Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. That helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.